miracle can happen now for the Spirit of the Lord is here. God, we thank you for your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be amongst them. And God, that in 2 Corinthians we read that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And God, we we claim that this morning. We proclaim that this morning. Freedom from bondage, freedom from disease, freedom from fear, freedom from sin, freedom from death. God, in your presence, there is freedom. We thank you for your presence here in this place this morning. We invite you, even as we thank you for your presence, like the song said again, we though invite you to fall afresh. God, that we don't just uh, rest in what we've had, but Lord, we continually look to you again, invite you again to speak into our lives, to dwell among us. Lord, that we would look to you, that we would follow you with everything we have. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, team. There was a beautiful sense of God's presence in that moment there, which is awesome. And it's good to see you all here this morning as well. And uh, this morning I've got a a passage of Scripture that we're going to open in a moment that I, I really want to share from. I was saying to somebody this morning... It's a little bit strange for me. It's, it's a bit, really a bit of a, a Bible study and really looking into these verses and unpacking what's in there. And uh, so hopefully that will, will make sense to people and make sense to me and, and to application for our lives. But before we get there, uh, I just want to pause for a moment and do a bit of an ad, a bit of a promo uh, for something that is happening on Thursday night of this week. Um, I've got a, a creative team night, a creative team vision night happening on Thursday here uh, over in the youth center. And uh, the people who are in my worship team and creative teams, they've already been invited. But this morning, I want to extend that invitation really to anybody who has some kind of creative talent, whether it's singing or dancing or sculpting or painting or cooking or operating lights or being a sound tech, really any creative skill that you have that you're willing to be used for the glory of God means that you can be part of a worship team and come and talk to us about what we might be able to do with those skills and those ideas and that creativity through 2018. All right, so you're all invited if you want to come along, if you're willing for your gift to be used by God to bring glory to Him and to encourage others in glorifying Him, then you are welcome to come uh, on Thursday night, all right? So that's good. I think you've got it. Cool. All right. So over the last couple of weeks, uh, I haven't introduced myself at all, by the way. I'm Dave. I've been coming here for a few years now, uh, and I'm part of the team here, and uh, I am responsible uh, also for running the worship team and the tech teams and, and things like that as well. And over the last couple of weeks, Carl has been speaking to us about the word that he felt God impress upon him specifically for this year. 
Uh, And the phrase that he used was that we are being called to respond to God's heart so the world will get a chance to know his son. And the key word that he's been focusing on is the word respond. Respond to God. Respond to his heart. Respond to his call. Respond to his word. Respond to his presence. And as a symbol of our response, a couple of weeks ago, we were invited to bring up a little card. Some of you would have been here that said, yes. Brought the card to the altar just as a symbol of saying yes to everything that God has in store for us this year. And also a way of saying yes to all that God will ask of us this year. And so this morning, Carl has asked me specifically uh, to carry on this series and, and this thought of respond And in particular, he's asked me to share this morning uh, about our worship as a response. So that's the title he gave me, Worship as a Response. And as I contemplated that title and thought about what I was going to speak to today, I realized that actually it's the wrong title. Worship as a Response is the wrong title because it's not worship as a response. Worship is our response. When we come into the presence of God or we receive a revelation of his word or we read his scriptures or we we, uh, come together in his presence and in his name, our response is worship. And when the Magi, that's the the, the wise men who who came and found uh, the baby Jesus, we call him baby Jesus, but he was a child at the time. You know, in Matthew 2, it tells us the moment they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped him. When Jesus calmed the storm, Matthew 14 tells us that those who were in the boat bowed down and worshipped him. When Jesus healed the lame man, Mark 2 tells us that everyone was amazed and praised God. When Jesus raised a dead man to life, Luke 7 tells us that all were filled with awe and praised God. When Jesus healed a blind man, Luke 18 tells us that all who saw him stopped and gave praise and glory to God. When we're confronted with the presence and power of Almighty God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Savior, Creator, the name above all names, worship is our response. Or at least it should be. It should be. But have you ever responded to something the wrong way? Or had somebody respond to you the wrong way? My wife is shaking her head. I have never, ever responded to my wife in the wrong way or said the wrong thing, ever, in our whole relationship, not once. Um, You know, sometimes you ask somebody a question and you're just asking a question and you're expecting a particular response, but they don't give you that response, they give you a different kind of response, right? Or, Or you've been in a situation where you've said something or done something and you've realized afterwards, hmm, actually that wasn't that wasn't the right response. That wasn't the right answer. Uh, and to keep things um, uh, not too embarrassing for me and not too personal, I, I was thinking about this and I realized there's a story that I still remember from when I was nine or ten years old. At my, I know, like 80, 90 years ago. And I, it was my birthday and my friends were around and we had the presents and all that sort of stuff. And I got... I remember getting presents from two of my friends. Now, I don't remember whether they were Transformers or G.I. Joes, but I can guarantee that it was one of those two things, right? G.I. Joes or Transformers. And they both gave me whatever, either two Transformers or two G.I. Joes, whichever it was. And at this party, we'd done the presents, we'd moved on to games and playing, and I still remember 
for some weird reason as I was playing with these toys, something possessed me to say out loud in the presence of my friends, something along the lines of, I really like these toys, but I like this one more than that one. I mean, what a, what a git. Like, why would I say that? It was so absurd, such a, a dirtbag thing to do, that here I am, decades later, still tormented by having that response to what they had given me. That was the wrong response. I do remember, though, the kid whose toy I had basically insulted, he was, all, I don't even know how he had this maturity as a nine or ten year old. He just goes, oh, that's fine. I'll just take it back then. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect response. And, and the moment of, of difficulty was gone because of their excellent response to the scenario. But my response was not what it should have been. Even though I had been thankful and so on, I then had the wrong response. And sometimes what our response is and what our response should be don't seem to line up with each other. So when we come into the presence or come into contact with the Almighty God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our response should be worship, but sometimes it's not. And so this morning we're going to dive into a passage in Luke chapter 7 that illustrates this thought. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7, and the passage is going to come up on the screen. We're going to read through an extended passage here, about 14 verses, from verse 36 to 50. Let's read this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in this short passage of scripture, we see this huge range of responses from different people to the same situation. So let's have a look at what these pe- how these people respond. The first response is that of the Pharisee, this guy Simon. And as I read through this passage, I think the best way to describe 
Simon's response is actually skepticism. He, is, he appears to be a skeptic. I mean, clearly he's heard about Jesus, and he's intrigued enough by this guy to invite him to his house for a meal. So he invites Jesus to be, his, to be a guest in his home, but as we read through the story, we discover that Simon didn't actually extend Jesus the, the common courtesies that would have been expected of, of that time when you had a guest into your home. So when a guest entered your house, or especially if it was the house of a wealthy person, as Simon was, there were three things that were usually done to welcome the, the visitor. The first was that the, the, the host would place their hands on the shoulders of the guest, and, and greet them with a holy kiss, all right? Which I, they think was probably a kiss on each cheek or something like that. We just tend to shake hands here. Um, but if people want to go back to that, we can talk about that later. But that was the, the kiss of peace or a, or a holy kiss. And that definitely would have been done without question with an honored guest, like a rabbi coming into uh, the house of a, of a Pharisee. But we later learned Jesus was not welcomed by Simon in this way. And the second thing that would normally happen when a visitor came into a house is that you would just give them some cold water to wash their feet with because, you know, they had sandals. Stephen, you're rocking those sandals, by the way. That was it's a good look. Uh, and their, their streets were dusty and they had filthy feet. And so you came in, cold water, washed the feet. That was what was done. But in this case, it was not. And the third tradition commonly used, maybe not as often as the others, but particularly in a wealthy household when an honored guest would come, is that they would anoint their head with oil or maybe a a sweet-smelling incense to refresh and invigorate was the way that they put it. But personally, I think it's probably to disguise the smell of the travelers who have come a long way in the heat and into your house. And so you would refresh them and the aroma by anointing their head with oil or with a sweet-smelling incense or perfume. But... Again, this mark of respect and hospitality was not offered to Jesus by Simon. So he respects him or is interested enough to say, come and have a meal with me in my home, but then doesn't treat him with the respect or courtesy that would be expected or even required when hosting somebody like Jesus. He seems to be skeptical. He seems to not really be sure that I should treat this person as an honored guest. And then there's the response that Simon has when he witnesses the incident with the woman washing Jesus' feet. Because he thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. He's skeptical. If he knew. In fact, it's like he uses that incident to justify the fact that he didn't treat Jesus properly as a rabbi. If he were a prophet then he would know what kind of woman this was. If he knew what kind of woman this was, then he wouldn't let her touch his feet. But since he is letting her touch his feet, then he mustn't be a prophet, and therefore he shouldn't be treated as though he were one. That seems to be Simon's attitude. He is skeptical. I don't think this guy is who people think he is. I don't think he's worth the honor that people are giving him. And then Jesus tells Simon a story, illustrating the nature of forgiveness, and along the way, demonstrating there's a prophet because he knows what Simon's thinking, right? But two people with debts, one larger, one smaller, both debts are forgiven by the moneylender. Which debtor? 
will love him more. And Simon's response, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I, I suppose. In other words, I know exactly what you're saying. I understand your point completely, but I actually don't want to agree with you. I don't really want to legitimize what you're saying because I don't think you're worth all the fuss that everybody is making over you. But you've asked me the question, and I don't want to look stupid in front of my friends, so I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. This passage doesn't paint a great picture of Simon. His response of skepticism really held him back from being able to receive everything that Jesus had for him. I mean, Jesus was right there in his home, but he didn't fully welcome him. His expectation on exactly how Jesus should behave and how he should treat others stopped him from believing in who Jesus was. And his skepticism made him reluctant even to receive the words that Jesus had to say. Don't let a response of skepticism stop you from hearing God's word for your life this year. Don't let skepticism choke away the breakthroughs that Jesus has in store for you this year. So that was Simon's response to being in the presence of Jesus. But then the second response we we see, or the, the person we see next, is this unnamed woman. Her response was pretty clear. Hers was a response of worship, deep, meaningful worship. And as we go through, we'll find that some of her response was premeditated, deliberate and intentional, but some of it was quite spontaneous and unexpected and unplanned. And her response of worship is a wonderful picture of how we should respond to God. And I want to look at four elements of her response and see what we can learn from them. So here we go. The first thing that she does is that she gave up her time. The passage tells us that she intentionally put herself in position to be near Jesus. Let's be really clear. She was not an invited guest to this banquet, right? She was a sinful woman who had led a sinful life, which is sort of basically Bible code for she lived a life of prostitution, all right? And so she was not invited to a feast at the house of a wealthy Pharisee. But the customs of the day allowed the poor and needy to come into the courtyards of the wealthy when there was a feast like this on so that they could hopefully get some scraps or some leftovers, but also so that they could be there to hear, overhear some of the words of wisdom that the Pharisees and the rabbis might have been sharing at the time. So she didn't, she didn't just happen to be there, though, for the, for the words of wisdom for the Pharisees. She didn't just happen to be there because she was looking for food. No, it says that when she learned Jesus was there... She went. So she stopped whatever she was doing. She dropped whatever plans that she had, and she deliberately made a choice to position herself where Jesus was. She gave up her time so that she could hear from him and be in his presence. Well, that's a good place to start, isn't it? In order to respond to God, position yourself in his presence. Make a choice to give up your time to be near him, to hear from him, and to worship him. Because I don't think we can just worship him out of a place of convenience. It's going to cost us something like our time in order to be in the right place to worship him. She gave up her time, first thing. Second thing, 
Second element is that it was an expression of gratitude. So she's made the effort to get there. She's intentionally made her way into the presence of Jesus. And when she comes to that place, she is so overwhelmed by gratitude and love for him that she begins to weep. Jesus reveals later that her tears are tears of love and gratitude, that she loves much because she has been forgiven much. And this attitude of thankfulness is one that the scriptures tell us over and over again is what we must bring when we worship God. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Ephesians 5, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A response of worship needs an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, coming into that place going, it is not me that has got me here, it's not what I've done, but it is what you have done. And this woman makes a choice to go into that place, an intentional decision, but when she gets there, she is overwhelmed by gratitude and love for what, not because she's there, but because of what Jesus has done for her. And out of that overflows this spontaneous act of worship, and she stands there weeping. So we got the spontaneous worship, but we only got it after the deliberate choice. The deliberate choice to be in that place led to a spontaneous expression of worship. So she gave up her time, and it was an expression of gratitude. There's two things there. The third element is that this response was an act of humility and service. I mean, it was an act of service even if you just think that she came and washed his feet. That would have been enough. If she'd brought a bowl of water and washed his feet, that is a humble act of service. But there's a lot more than that. She's placed his needs well above her own. But to stand in public and weep, that is humble. Then to kneel down and wash his feet with with her tears and her hair, I mean, that's, there's no pride in this moment at all. There's no hint of selfishness in what she's doing at all. In fact, you get a sense that she's not even thinking, not only is she not thinking about herself, she's really not thinking about anybody else in the room. She is there to worship Jesus and Jesus alone, and that's her response. In fact, it's a bit like the words of a song we sometimes sing, right? She didn't care what it looked like. She was diving in, right? She was not thinking about other people's response, other people's judgment, other people's criticism. It was an act of humility. She brought herself down that he would be glorified. And actually, it goes even deeper than that. Because traditionally, Jewish women would wear their hair bound up, tied up in public. You you wouldn't have your hair down. So for a woman to be in public and to loose and unbind her hair so that she could dry his feet, that was actually considered an act basically of immodesty. It was, it was, there was, again, no sense of pride in what she was doing because she was offering everything she had to him. It was an act 
of service and an act of humility. When we respond to God in worship, we must do so with a humble heart. A response of worship will require us to give up our time to express our gratitude and to act in humility. And the fourth element that I I see in this woman's worship is that it cost her something valuable. The alabaster jar of perfume. Now, we don't know exactly what size it was. We don't really know exactly how valuable it was. But we do know uh, that alabaster jars were made from a precious kind of stone that was similar in, in texture to marble. Right? So it was a rare stone. And that those jars in themselves were expensive to own. So it was far more usual for expensive oils and expensive perfumes to be contained in an expensive container, right? You didn't just put your cheap stuff in the expensive box. You put your most valuable stuff in the most valuable container. And we also know that the way to open those jars was to break the lid, to break the top off. You didn't have, you know, we didn't have plastic screw tops or anything that they would just open it and pour some out and then close it up again. You would have to break the top of the alabaster jar. So when she came and poured out that perfume, she had brought her most expensive perfume in her most expensive container and broken it open so that everything that was in it was poured out. She couldn't put it back in. She couldn't reseal it and take it home. She offered the whole lot. It cost her everything. And it's also worth noting that she didn't just happen to have the perfume. Have a look again at verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So she came there with. The moment she learned that Jesus was in this place, she stopped what she was doing. She gathered one of her most valuable resources so that she could bring that gift to him. There was an intentional choice here. It wasn't just circumstance. It wasn't just spontaneous. It was deliberate. She came to that banquet already prepared to give of some of her most valuable belongings. I think in these verses, this woman paints a wonderful picture of how we are to respond to God. She responded with worship. She gave of her time. She, it was an expression of gratitude. It was an act of humility and service, and it cost her something valuable. You know, for some people in this room, it may be that it is easy to give money or things of value, but much harder to give of your time. And for others, it may be easy to volunteer and to serve and to give of your time, but much harder to make a financial sacrifice. But God is looking for something of both in our worship to him. For some people, it may be really easy to plan and to be intentional and to plan your time and your gift and and be deliberate about how you're doing it. But maybe when you're in a time of corporate worship, you find it really difficult to be spontaneous, to do anything in the moment or to express in a certain uh, words that express what you are really feeling. And for others, it may be the other way around, that you get into this time of corporate worship and you just, out of the overflow of your heart, you can just proclaim your praises, but it's actually much harder for you to think and be deliberate and make choices in advance about what you're going to do. 
But God is looking for something of both in our response to him. He wants us to choose to worship him, to have the commitment and conviction that says he is worthy of our worship at all times, but he also wants to worship him out of the overflow of our hearts and to spontaneously express our feelings of gratitude towards him. But none of those things matter if we have the wrong attitude in our hearts. If we're not coming with gratitude, if we're not coming with humility, then we're coming from the wrong place and our response of worship is still missing something. I really think a response of worship has all of those things. We've got to give of our time. We have to express our gratitude. We have to act in humility. And it has to cost us something valuable. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and join us again. There's a couple of other responses in this passage that I just want to touch on briefly. Because there's the response of Jesus in this passage too, right? And his is a response of compassion. His is a response of mercy and of grace, especially to this woman. Everybody else viewed her as a, as a sinner, as a disgrace. But Jesus views her as forgiven and loved. But I even think he shows compassion to Simon. Simon, who, who didn't offer him the common courtesies, who had these judgmental thoughts. But, but Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He doesn't bring him down. He allows Simon to react in his own way. But the other response, which I think is the most remarkable response of the whole passage, is the final response, which is the response of the other guests. Because their response is one of judgment, maybe even outrage. Who is this who even forgives sins? And that, that thought, that, that's a point of contention right through the Gospels. In fact, it's one of the major things that Jesus got in trouble for time and time again to say, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees would demand, how does he have the right No man has the right to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Who is this man who even forgives sins? How dare he say such a thing? And that's what amazes me so much. Because from one statement, we have the right response. And we have the wrong response. Jesus says to this woman, your sins are forgiven. And for that woman, that brought freedom. That brought breakthrough. That completely changed her life. That brought her into a place of worship, and she went from that place a different person. And that same statement, your sins are forgiven, for the Pharisees brought bondage and imprisonment and judgment, and it bound them up, and it didn't release them to receive what Jesus was saying and doing. Why? Because their response was wrong. The wrong response. I don't know if it was out of their skepticism or their pride or just a judgment and criticism, but they could not receive that freedom from Jesus because they had the wrong response in their hearts. We're going to enter into a time of corporate worship now again. We're going to sing some songs together. And there's an opportunity for us to respond to God right now. And we can, we can be both intentional and deliberate about this. We can choose in a moment. I'm going to choose to stand and sing these songs. But we can also be spontaneous.
because we can cry out to God from the desperation of our hearts. We can express our gratitude, but bring also to him all the things that we are in desperate need of, and God will speak to us and work in us. We can bring our gift of time this morning. We can bring something that costs us something. We do it in humility. We do it in an attitude of thankfulness. That's the kind of response of worship that God wants from us. Let's stand together. Join with us.